Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. And Lord, we are thankful for that, that you are the one who never leaves the one behind. God, that each and every one of us, no matter where we've come in tonight, would feel or sense you pursuing us, you calling us, you ministering to us. And God, no matter how we've come in tonight, we ask now in a supernatural way, would your word speak to us? Would it be applicable to us? And would you give us wisdom to apply it to our own lives? We pray this in your name. Amen. You can take a seat. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, you're going to want to grab them. Uh, Grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be for tonight. Ephesians 6 uh, verses 11 11 to 20. If you're new here tonight or haven't been here in a while, I'm just going to catch you up to speed on what we've been doing. We've been doing this series called Fight Club for the past uh, two weeks, uh, where the first night we talked about how you need to fight for your relationship with God. Um, Last week we talked about how you need to fight for your friends and also your friends need to fight for you. And then tonight we're going to talk about how you fight matters. And then next week we'll close the series up talking about, in the midst of your fight, unpredictable outcomes in 1 Samuel 4. So anyway, just so you know where we're going. And we haven't posted it on our um, on our podcast or anything. And the reason of that is because one of the, you know, taglines or things about Fight Club, what happens at Fight Club stays at Fight Club. Right. So whatever we're talking about here now, we are recording these. After next week, we'll post all four of the series. But um, the theme verse of the series, you don't have to turn there. It says this in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says, or 4.7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith that we have said throughout uh, the past couple weeks that you, whether you know it or not, you are in a fight for your life. Um, You are in a fight for your life spiritually, uh, mentally, emotionally, maybe not physically. Maybe some of of you fight for a living, right? You're headed in the right career. MMA is where you want to be, where you want to go, or boxing, whatever. But uh, you're fighting for your life in a sense. And what we've said, and what I have hinted at for probably, probably the past six, seven weeks, uh, randomly, I'd be on a point, I'd be like, well, Satan does this, or the enemy does this, and I would just randomly, if you would remember or can recall, I would sprinkle certain things about Satan, and the reason is because I've been wanting to preach a sermon on the devil for some time, and so tonight is the night. You've come to the right uh, sermons here. Yeah, you get to hear about Satan for about 40 minutes, but anyway, um, what we are, and, and the reason that is what I've said, the premise of the series and why we're talking about this. Um, There are some things in your life that happen, and there's a reason they happen, but you don't know why they happen, and you don't know what to do. So something could go wrong, something could happen, there could be an obstacle in your way, and you're trying to discern some of the times, is this God speaking to me? Is God closing a door? Is this because I am stupid and sinful and I made a mistake, or is Satan trying to destroy my life? You're trying to discern those three things, and you don't know how. You're trying to say, man, who is involved in this, and what am I supposed to do? It says in 2 Corinthians uh, 2.11, it says, so that, we are, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design. 
that you would not be ignorant or stupid or unaware. I didn't call you stupid, you know, just relax. <gasps> uh, that you're, you know, you're really smart. Mom told you, you were, you're, you know, you're great A. But anyway, um, that you would not be ignorant that when something happens, that you wouldn't be ignorant of Satan's design or his desire. Um, in 1904, uh, just a little history lesson, at the dawn of the Welsh revival, uh, right before this revival hit, uh, in, in 1904, 1905, there was a guy named uh, Seth Joshua, um, he went out into the city in the middle of the town and he pitched a boxing ring in the middle of the town and he advertised it, tomorrow night, the fight of the century. Thousands of people came out to see the fight of the century. When they all turned up, he announced that devil was about to get beating and souls were saved that night because he has connected uh, this idea. And I was thinking about the midget wrestling idea. If we brought people and we were like, midget wrestling, Satan, gospel, you need to get saved. But anyway, um, there is this idea where you are in a battle, you're in a spiritual battle, and I've hinted at this the past couple weeks. There are some of us where you are unaware that you are in this fight and you feel like you are getting your teeth kicked in, like you are getting absolutely annihilated and you don't know how to fight. You don't know what Satan's doing. You don't know how he's attacking. If you would remember a little movie, I was looking for the clip, Incredible Violet, she would go invisible and just beat the snot out of people, and they're like, boom, boom, boom. They had no idea where she was. You feel like maybe that is happening in your life. You have no idea why you are so depressed all the time. You have no idea why you're so anxious. You have no idea why things always seem difficult for you. You have no idea why family trials and tribulations always seem in front of you. You have no idea what is happening around you. So tonight, um, with a little good anxiety, I'm going to teach kind of two sermons before we get to Ephesians 6. You're going to need to be there. I'm going to give you 10 things or 10 lessons of a quick history lesson on Satan. Now, um, what I don't want to do is you guys to get really uh, excited to learn about Satan more so than you are to learn about Jesus, okay? So anytime you talk about Satan, anytime you talk about the devil, everyone's like, oh, and then you talk about Jesus, they're like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I knew that. Right, you, and, and, and that truly is a spiritual battle in and of itself. So rapid rifle fire, quick 10 things, a history lesson on Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. Number one, Satan was the supreme archangel, which means this in Ezekiel 28, 13. Before God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible teaches he created angels. And within that, there was an angel who was the archangel, not Michael at this time, but Satan himself, who would be considered Lucifer. In Ezekiel 28, he was considered the chief cherubim or chief worship leader. Just think about that for a second. No stab at anyone leading worship, but Satan was a worship leader before he rebelled against God. It says, uh, number two, Satan was the supreme archangel. Number two, Satan wanted to be like God. It says in Isaiah 14, five times, he says this, I will ascend to the most high. I will make myself like God. I will be like God. So what Satan does, he approaches a certain amount of angels, the Bible teaches. He wants to be like God. And when you fight against God, what have we said every single week? You lose. You lose. Ten days out of ten, when you fight against God, God wins, you lose, you go home trying to figure stuff out. Satan, at that time, rebelled against God, took a quarter of the angels with him, which are not angels now, but are rather demons. And so this is just, again, quick history lesson. Number three, Satan can't experience forgiveness, so he counterfeits with bitterness. 
This is very, very important for you to understand. Anything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. God uh, is a not, not a created being, but he exists within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Satan will counterfeit that with the beast, the Antichrist, and Satan himself. He always counterfeits. And this is important to know because of this. When you experience anxiety, that's not from God. God invented and created peace. When you experience fear, that's not from God. That's from the devil. God wants you to walk by faith. When God wants, so, so you understand, he counterfeits. Um, go to the verses, 2 Peter uh, 2, 4, it says this. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Let me read Jude 1. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Go back to number three, how he counterfeits. Here's what you need to realize. Satan and demons cannot be forgiven. I was actually at a heaven series one time that a pastor was teaching, and I was like, can demons get saved? Of course I would ask that question. I'm like, I want to see them get saved. He was like, no. And here is why. They are not, like you and I, born into sin. You and I are born affected and infected by sin. Mind, will, soul, everything is born into sin, so we need saved. Demons and angels are not born into sin. They're born in right relationship with God. It says in 1 Peter, I'm giving a ton of Bible nerd stuff, but this is fun for me. In 1 Peter 1.12, it says salvations long to, or angels long to look into salvation. They can't be saved. They look at salvation and go, you've got to be kidding me. That's why it says in Luke 15, what? That there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need it. Because angels, when God saves someone, it blows their mind because they know how holy God is and how unholy we are. So they can't experience it. And here's what Satan will do. It says that they are trapped in their gloomy darkness or in chains. If you have ever felt enshackled, in chains, in shame, that is demonic. It is extremely demonic. If you have done something where you would say, God cannot forgive me. He can't forgive what I've done. If he knows everything about me, there's no way God could see me and forgive me because this is unforgivable. Satan is behind that. And when I say Satan, I want to be clear tonight, I'm saying Satan and demons as well. Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be all places at one time. He is not God. He cannot do that. But he counterfeits. If you feel bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone, I believe that is extremely demonic. If you would say, I cannot forgive them bitterness, uh, you, you would know the phrase, you drink poison expecting the other person to die, right? You're up all the time thinking about them, but they're sleeping like a baby on a Saturday night, and you're like, God, get them. It is truly, it, it is demonic. He counterfeits. If you are here tonight and you have experienced or you are currently in unforgiveness, bitterness, or you think God feels that way towards you, that is Satan counterfeiting or making you feel how he feels. They can't be forgiven, so what else would they want you to feel? Number four, Satan attacks when you're weak. So in Matthew 4, Jesus uh, is, is really in this weak state. He fasted 40 days. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. And Satan would attack when he was weak. It says in Revelation 12, 10, 
that the accuser or the devil, or that the devil is the chief accuser. I believe he stands over top of us telling us how insufficient we are, how insignificant we are, how stupid we are, how, how, we, how we're failures, how this can't come up when you drive by certain locations. I think he is the chief accuser. He attacks when you're weak. I talked to a man recently. Um, it was his father-in-law, 97 years old, about to die. This man at 97 walked with Christ his entire life faithful to the Lord, been obedient to God, raised his family in the Lord. At 97, he was struggling to communicate. He was in the last few days of his life. He did not tell anyone else this but his wife, and he died a couple weeks ago, and this is what he said, that Satan would visit him at nights and accuse him and tell him, when you die, you are going to hell, and God cannot save you. Satan attack, and, and, and what else, and why would Satan attack some weak old man who is mentally fading away, who's walked with Christ, has evidence of his salvation, and Satan shows up in his dreams and starts accusing him and attacking him. He attacks you when you're weak. He also attacks you when you're vulnerable. When you are vulnerable, this is something that we don't, they're they're kind of both and, but they're separate. And here's why I say when you're vulnerable. He attacks you or brings temptation your way because it says in James 1, temptation is not from God, but rather from our flesh and from the enemy. He attacks you when you are in your most vulnerable states. Someone just criticized you. Your mom just had a conversation with you. You feel emotionally all over the place. You just got out of a bad breakup, uh, and, and then you start having different conversations with someone else. He attacks when you are most vulnerable. Late at night, when you feel like, I shouldn't be on this website, next thing you know, he attacks, he brings temptation. You probably shouldn't talk to this person. You see them, you start to feel guilt and shame. You have a conversation with them. Probably shouldn't be in the relationship. Next thing you know, you're doing things you thought you would never do. That's when he attacks. It teaches that in Matthew 4. When he would come to Jesus and he would attack him, he would question his identity. We'll talk about that a little bit tonight. Number six, because I can't preach till 10 o'clock. He attacks when we hear God's word, or when we hear the word of God, and he blinds those who do not believe so they cannot understand the gospel. When you are hearing the Bible taught, like right now, right now, Sunday morning, uh, Wednesday night, I don't know if you're Sunday night people, wherever you go, whenever you're listening to the Bible, Matthew 13 and Mark 4 teach this principle that when the seed is being sown, Satan comes by and tries to snatch it. And here's what this means application-wise. When you start to hear the Bible and you're like, this stuff is just so boring. This has no application to my life. This is so stupid. I'm falling asleep. Now, I don't want to give way for like bad Bible teaching and boring Bible teaching, but that that is a thing. Um, But if you would say, I just don't get anything out of this. I can't pay attention. Why do you think, and this is me too, I can watch a show for an hour and a half glued, locked. Can't believe it. My phone's vibrating, can't find it. I'm locked on a show. I start to listen to the Bible being taught, and I'm like a bird. Right? Oh, my phone, where's my phone? I got a Texas person I totally forgot. I believe that is extremely spiritual. I do. I think the Bible supports that. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, one of the verses I hate more than anything, he blinds the minds of unbelievers actively to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. I have had conversations with people where I saw this happen. 
I said, this is the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. You need to put your faith in Jesus to get forgiveness of sin. Will you repeat back to me what I just said? I forgot. Let me, I'm, I mean, laugh. I'm, I'm being dead serious. Let me write it out. I, I get out a paper. I'd, I'd be sitting down at a car. I'd say, okay, bridge. I'll do the bridge. God, sin, you, separation. What does this mean? I have no idea. You're in engineering. You're smart. No, I'm being serious. Like, you, I, I'll be talking to smart people, and they can't comprehend what's taking place. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. And some of us may be there tonight. You, the gospel seems so confusing, so other than. I can't wrap my mind around it. It doesn't make sense to me. It seems too easy and simple, which I think is the next one, number seven. Um, Satan looks appealing. Oh my gosh, I have to read this real quick. Um, it says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14, I'll read 15. It says, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Sometimes when we think of Satan, you think of like pitchfork, uh, I don't know, red devil, like, you know, and you think of, and we'll talk a little bit, you think of demon possession. You think of someone like foaming at the mouth, hyperventilating. You're like, I've never seen that. I was actually in El Salvador when I was 19, and I believe I saw someone possessed. Totally different story. But there, that, you, that sometimes he disguises himself as, a, as an angel of light. And this is what it says in 15. I just saw this before we met tonight. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. Satan, demons, false Bible teachers, it will sound, look, and feel good. It's, it sounds appealing. Sounds right. What's right for me is right for me. I see people live this way all the time, and they look happy. It disguises itself. I see people chase money all the time, and they look very happy. I see people chase sex all the time, and they look very happy. I see people chase careers all the time. I see people walk away from church, and they look very happy. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Number eight, Satan can only do what God allows. This one is the best. In Job 1.12, and Satan is truly like a dog on a leash, and not the kind of dogs that's pulling people, you know, the dogs like in charge and running them down the road. He is constrained by God however far he will let him go. God shows, or Satan shows up to God. He shows up to God. And he says, have you considered your servant Job? Who's your most likely servant? He says, Job. He says, let me put him to the test. Job 1, you should read it tonight. He shows up. He takes, and God says, you can do whatever you want in 112, but what does he say? His life only shall you spare. So he is like a dog on a leash. If God has not allowed Satan to tempt, if he has not allowed him to go certain borders, if he has not allowed him into a situation, Satan ain't showing up. Satan does not, not in charge of God, and he is not anywhere where God does not know. Now, I know the natural question is, why would God allow that? Why would God let him, why doesn't he just obliterate him right now? We'll talk about that. Number nine, Satan wants to make following Jesus confusing and add to the gospel. 2 Corinthians eleven three, He says, Paul says this, one time in the Bible, one time, he says, I am afraid. The apostle Paul ain't a dude who's afraid. He's just not. 
The guy was an absolute monster. Think of someone who you would think, they're just not someone who's afraid. He says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Making it simple. That there was a Bible teacher always would say, you need to kiss the gospel every day. Keep it simple. What? Stupid. Keep it simple. When you feel like Christianity is very confusing, when you feel like you need to follow Jesus plus something in order to go to heaven, Satan is behind that. He's involved in all of this. And lastly, which is most important, number 10, Satan is fighting a fight he's already lost. He's already lost. It says in Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10, literally, he will be cast into hell forever and ever. And go to uh, Revelation 12, 12, it says this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. He knows his time is short. It says in James, uh, James 2.12 that the demons believe in God and they shudder. The devil knows the Bible better than you. He knows God, not better because he doesn't have a relationship. He knows what is going to happen in future events. Devil knows the Bible better than me. He uses the Bible. He twists it. He adds to it. He takes away. And he knows his time is short. So what he would like to do is to get you off track, complacent, feeling apathy, and in some, as one uh, pastor, church planning pastor, not in, um, it was in Iran, Iran, he said this, he said, as he looked at the church in the West, where we are, he said, it seems like there is this demonic lullaby taking place, that there's no real heart for God, there's no real heart for Jesus that we just, in the way he said it, I watched in the interview, and it was, I mean, it was rough, but it was good. It was two hours. You can get it on YouTube. He said that there was this sense where the devil's just kind of like, hey, shh, you're okay. Now, don't get that passionate. You're okay. I don't, don't read your Bible. It's not that serious. I don't love Jesus. People just think you're weird. Uh, people make fun of you. No, 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 no. You're okay. Don't worry about it. Just get on your phone. Nah, just watch this. Don't worry about it. Don't follow the Lord. People think you're really weird. He said as he watched, and in Iran, there's the biggest church planning explosion right now. Millions of people are getting saved by dreams and just crazy stuff. And they're following the Lord. And he's saying, as he looked at us, he's like, people who can meet, gather, share the gospel openly, they're not going to be killed. He's like, and there's just this spiritual apathy that takes place. And it's very, very demonic. If you're new here tonight, I am very sorry because you're like, these people are nuts. <laughs> or maybe this guy's nuts, right? A little bit of both. Let me, let me read you Matthew 26, 53. Jesus says this as he's going to the cross. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels, which is 10,000 angels? Jesus has the authority to do whatever he wants with whoever he wants. He has authority over demons. It says this in John 18, 36. Jesus answered as he is in front of Pilate. He's getting ready to go to the cross. John 18, 36 should be the next one. If it's frozen, that's fine. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting 
that I might be that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. The only way I can help us understand this is this. Stranger Things is a beast of a show. Amen. When's the new one coming? Is it June? Season four. Pray about it. Someone Google it. Let me know after this thing. Um, this, the, the spirit, the, in, in Stranger Things, you have the seen realm and the unseen realm. In our lives, in a very real way, we have the seen realm and there is an unseen realm. And what happens in the unseen realm affects us tremendously in the seen realm. And we have no idea what's happening. And when you take a step back and you look at the Bible and what it says, you're like, oh, something's taking place. It says in James 3.15, it says even unselfishness or wisdom from ourselves or our own pride is unspiritual and demonic. I'm like, really? Like I just, I wanted what I wanted. I want to go where I want to eat. I want to do my own thing. Why is that demonic? He says it's, it's truly not from God. And I want to read this quote uh, from John Piper. He says this, One of the things that constantly astonishes me is that God, who could with one blink of an eye or flick of a little finger, could dispatch all of Satan out of the world in any way. Instead of doing that, he employs human agents to do war with them and fight them in order to get victories. All I know to say about that is this. It is inexcrutable wisdom. More because he could do it so easily without us. He could get rid of the devil so that we would have to deal with just the human flesh. But he hasn't chosen to get rid of the devil. He will throw the devil into the lake of fire someday. But now God lets him run on a leash. Let's do great damage in the world. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I feel like I can't even tie my shoes someday, right? Barely getting my schedule. I feel like I miss a meeting here, and I'm like, why? I can't fight the devil. What's he want me to do? I have no authority on my I have nothing to bring to the table. Why would I barely pass high school? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> barely made it through. I mean, I cheated all the way through, right? Not, not too smart. I feel, and, and, and God says, no, no, no. I want to use, I want to use the weakness of man to display the strength of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are going to have to smoke through this, but we will. Ephesians chapter 6, I got five things to be ready for the fight. Number one is to stay strong. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Stay strong. He is assuming that your strength is in God. It says in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. A lot of times, you and I are finding strength in not his might, but our own might. In Ephesians 3.18, it says this again, strength in his might. Ephesians 6.10, it says it again, that we would stay strong in God and not ourselves. It is very easy to feel like the older you get, the more independent you get, 
the more sufficient you get in and of yourself, you start making some coin, you start making some decisions, you start to feel like, I'm kind of pretty good. Right? I mean, look at my, look at my boyfriend or girlfriend, look at my situation, look at the wisdom I've made, look at the, the skill I've helped these other people, and you will start to feel this aspect of life where you're like, I kinda, I'm kind of smart. Look at my, and you start to compare to other people around you. You're like, look at these ding-dongs. They don't, they didn't do what I did. They didn't make the decisions I made. They didn't, wisdom like I got, they don't. And so what we do is we will find our strength in our skill, our emotional strength, our biblical knowledge, our history in following Christ, and we will bring that to the table. table. And literally, literally, the devil laughs at that kind of crap. He has been dealing with people like you and I for millennia. Literally, he knows our weaknesses. He knows how to attack them. So when we come to a fight, it says stay strong in the Lord, not in yourself. What if it said be strong in your might and in the strength of your might? I'd be in trouble. I'd be like, uh, hope. Right? Uh, what, are, what are you going to and, and the question is this. Where are you finding your strength? Where's your strength coming from? And if you're losing a battle, if you're losing a fight, if you feel like this spiritual war you're in, you're losing, you have to ask yourself the question, where am I going for strength? Am I going to the Lord? Am I going to myself? Who, who am I going to and where am I going to? And if I'm not going to God, I need to go to God. Number two, stand, I think I have, stand firm. Stand firm. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me just talk for a second. In the Bible, three times, three times, it tells us how to respond to the devil. I said this a few weeks ago. First Peter 5, it says that we need to resist. James 4, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Resist the devil, flee from him. And this is the third one. It says, stand against. We are never commanded to attack could get in a big debate about this right now in the gospels with the disciples we don't we don't attack demonic situations you don't run out and you're like devil show me what you got you i I would not do that i would i there was one time twice i've someone had experienced demonic activity at their house they asked if our pastors would come and pray for them i went there and i was like amped up I'll be honest, I was with my dad, I was with Pastor Bruce, I'm like, this is sweet. I was like, this should be like a ministry. Like, I, can I do this full time? Like, I was really excited. And, we get, and my dad was like, mm-mm, not me. I was like, why not? I was like, we got authority? He's like, but it's just, he's like, it's weird. <laughs> so, uh, actually, the church I grew up at, they had a demonic uh, ministry where they, it, it's really weird. But you don't, what I'm saying is this, you don't attack, you don't invite these situations. Some of you have given ground to the devil, You've, in a sense, invited some kind of demonic activity in your life, and a lot of it is through shame. We'll talk about that here in a second. Schemes. Is liter- the, the word scheme is literally used as methods, as methods, schemes or methods. He is, if we could use the word strategic, he is smart. He knows the Bible, he knows you, he knows your weak spots, he knows how to attack you. Stand against the schemes of the devil. And then he gives why. We don't, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You think the fight against is the person you're yelling at and the one who's yelling at you, but it's not against them. 
You think it's because your ex is a crazo. Maybe. But maybe not, right? You think it's against flesh and blood. You think it's because your parents are insane. You're like, they're just crazy people. Maybe. But it's not against flesh and blood. He says this. But against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And here's what we're to do. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, there it is again, in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Three times it says, stand, withstand, stand. That you would stand. Doesn't say slouch. Doesn't say lean. I don't know how to do it like this. Doesn't say, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't show up for it, you're like, what's up? That you're not prepared. What if you show up to an interview, you're like, what do you want to know? I got, I, got, I got some knowledge. Yeah, I got some experience. What do you want? You would never show up this way. No, you would come prepared. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this word, this gospel which you have received, that you didn't receive it in vain, you truly believed it, you stand. Galatians 5.1 says, therefore you're not bound to a yoke of slavery, but rather freedom, stand. That you would be confident in the reality of what the word of God says about you and about your future and about who you are as a person, that you would stand, that you would be proactive. You don't attack, but you're proactive. Number three, I got I to gotta rush here. I'm going to blow through this. Stay true. And this is probably the most important one. There it is again. Stand for the fourth time. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Man, I wish we had like 30 minutes. When it says true, put on the, put on the belt of truth, there is an aspect of this whole thing, the lies you believe about yourself, and what you believe about that God says to you, or what you think is from God, and it's really the devil. You should never, and, and you'll hear this phrase, what's true for you is true for who? You. That's demonic. What's right for you is, is right for you. No, what you know is wrong. Your heart is wicked. Don't follow your heart. It will kill you. Don't follow your mind. It will lead you astray. Rather, you need to follow what's true. It says in John eight forty four that the devil is the father of lies. It is his main job. He constantly lies to you, and here's how he does it. He always uses second person pronoun, you. When he showed up to Adam and Eve, this is what he said. Do you want to be like God? He showed up to Jesus in the wilderness and he said, if you are the son of God. So, how much trouble do I want to get in? Not much. That's usually the question of the day. How much trouble do I want to get in today? Uh, you, you and I are sinners, okay? Every single one of us, we've talked about this tonight, you're born into sin, you're born separated from God. In the Bible, when you accept Christ as Savior, you invite him into your life. You are not a sinner, but a saint, it says. 300 times in the New Testament, it refers to a follower of Christ as a saint, as a holy one, or righteous one. Three times, I believe it's in the book of James, it refers to a Christian as a sinner. So here's what will happen. You will do something you shouldn't do. You'll make a mistake, and you will hear this. You are a blank. 
What are some lies you could believe about you? I mean, failure? You are a failure. You are a failure. You are dumb. You are insignificant. You have no future. You are a failure. And literally, literally, getting the trash kicked out of us in a spiritual fight, believing that who we are not rather than who we are in Christ. When we are in Christ, am I a failure? Yeah, but I'm in Christ and he's not. Am I insignificant? Tremendously, but I'm in Christ and he's not. Am I depressed? Sometimes, but when I'm in Christ, he's not. I'm anxious, but when I'm in Christ, he brings peace. I am fearful, but in Christ, I have faith. So I have to remind myself, I have to stand to what is true. And you cannot believe what is true unless you get in this right here. You have to get in it, and you not wanting to get in it, believing you can't read the Bible, believing you can't understand it, believing it's too difficult for you, is demonic attack on your life. Let the pastor tell you how to read it. He's smart. Let Mike tell you. He'll make you laugh a little bit. Let the pastor tell you. You don't need to read it. Come on. That's, you can just, no, 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 don't, don't read it. And you're like, I can't read. What do you mean you can't read? You graduated from engineering with a 4.5, I don't even know how, what school you went to, and you have all these degrees, and you're like, I can't read. That is demonic attack. That is Satan sending it our way. You are. So when he sends it to me, and truly, when we stay to what is true, that the word of God is true. I've done this a million times, I'll do it again. You're right here. So when I start to feel like I'm a failure, no, I'm not, I'm in Christ. I start to feel like I have no future. Satan, let's talk about your future. My future's with Christ, right? God shows up, I am, and kicks the trash out of you. I'm true, not to myself, but who I am in Christ, not who I am apart from Christ. You stay true to you, not to you. <laughs> Number four, I gotta work quickly. Shield yourself in all circumstances, in the one you're facing right now, in the one you're about to face, in the one where you feel insignificant, insignificant, you don't feel smart enough, you don't feel equipped enough, you feel like you don't have enough faith, you feel like people like you can't make these decisions, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It says in Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the soul and the division of the morrow. It cuts to your heart. So you're, you, and here's what happens. It says in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you believe in Christ, you're a child of God. Two days after you accept Christ, what does the devil tell you? That's not true. That's fake. Take on the helmet of salvation. My salvation is not dependent on me, but on Christ and my faith in Christ. The shield of faith talks about darts that the devil is throwing them your way. Just constantly in your mind. There are three primary ways that I know the devil is attacking me, or Satan, or however we want to categorize this. Three primary ways. And he'll do it through my strengths, which can be my weaknesses. The first one is this. 
I have a very, very extreme personality. Really. <laughs> very extreme, okay? So within my extreme personality, it can be a good thing. God can redeem that. When I wasn't following Christ, I had this kind of passion for sin, okay? Just, just as much passion and zeal for sin. God says, I'm going to use that. I get saved. All of it goes to him, and I get really extreme for God. The problem is this. I don't do something I should. I don't love my wife like I should. Maybe I'm not in the Bible. I'm trying to hear from God. Someone says something, it offends me. I'm extreme. I suck. I'm the worst. How does anyone even expect, how could God use someone like me? So extreme. Hope will always, I mean, and, and she gets blown away. She will say, why that? Out of all the things you could feel extreme about, why that? He'll take your strengths and he'll also make them a weakness. Strength for me is this. Surprisingly, I am a deep thinker. I, think, I like to think deeply on a topic. I like to read, don't tell anyone. I like to study things. And here's what, God, here's what God will redeem that. Here's how Satan twists it. I'll overthink everything. I'll overthink it. I'll ask a million people advice. I'll start to ask other people who don't know such I'll ask, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I don't know what God says. And Hope's like, you are overthinking this. I'm like, I'm reading the Bible. I'm getting advice. I'm going here. She's like, well, what about God? I overthink things. Last thing is this. High-strung personality. High-strung. What Satan will do, like I said about extreme, I can get discouraged over the smallest things. Things that you would probably laugh about. The smallest things will make me want to just like, I'll just quit. I can't teach the Bible like him. I can't lead like that. I don't share Christ like that. I don't read my Bible that much. I can't do that. And I will get very discouraged. I don't take up the shield of faith. God, I believe the best about you, about the best about this situation. I'm believing the worst. Help me to believe the shield of faith as the devil is throwing darts my way that I would not take up my shield, but rather God's word that that would be my shield. The devil lies to me, you're insignificant. Well, it says in Christ in 1 Peter that my sufficiency is found in Christ. You're not a child of God. Well, really it says in Zechariah, when I'm in Christ, I'm the apple of God's eye. When it says that I, that I don't have a plan for my life, that I'm probably gonna make mistakes, I'm gonna miss God's call in my life, I have the plans for you, declares the Lord. I shield myself in faith with the word of God. And lastly, Number five, and I couldn't keep the, my Baptist roots, I was trying to keep all the same words or same letters, but I couldn't. Persevere in prayer. Spiritual battles can't be won apart from the word of God and apart from prayer. You wouldn't show up to a, to a real gunfight with like a Nerf gun. Right? I went, to, I went paintballing recently for someone's bachelor party. I mean, I got, I got messed up. I got welts all over my legs. This little kid knocked me in the back. I'm like, I, I felt like unprepared for the fight, okay? Some of us, for in a spiritual sense, that's where we are. And here's part of the reason. Praying at all times. When? All times. 
in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. And here's what he prays. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I want to be super quick here tonight and give you five quick things on prayer, and we'll wrap this up. We're almost done. Number one, pray always so deep tonight. If you have to, should I pray about that? Pray. And sometimes we would say, well, I'll pray while I'm driving. I'll pray while I'm mowing. I'll pray while I'm doing the dishes. I'll pray while I'm walking. In the Bible, often they would stop doing something in Acts 6. They couldn't serve in this way so that they could pray. You stop doing something and give focus time to it. You, if, if you have to wonder, you should pray about it. Number two, pray always. Have others pray for you. It is not selfish to approach someone and say, would you pray for me? I need your prayer. I'm depending on your prayer in this area. Hey, I'm not believing the right things about me. Would you pray for me? That is not a selfish thing. That's what Paul says. And pray also for me. Number three, pray for others. It it is so weird how praying for people or even praying for them with them is like this weird spiritual, like they're gonna think I'm just weird. I'm like the Jesus freak guy. I'm like the Jesus girl. They think I'm like weird. How awful would that be? They're like, they're always just praying for me. We don't pray in public to be seen by others. Matthew 6 would tell us that. But the question is, when's the last time you've went up to someone and said, hey, would you share some prayer requests with me? I'm going to pray for you this amount of time. I have a man text me every Monday, Mike, here's what I prayed for you today. What about this week? How can I pray for you? It's really motivating, challenging, and encouraging. Number four, pray for boldness to speak. If the Apostle Paul had to pray for boldness to share the gospel, probably I do too. God, would you give me boldness to speak the gospel? It says there's tons of, I need to finish up. There's tons of studies out right now where they're saying that our generation, you and I, 50% of people believe sharing the gospel is offensive, wrong, and unbiblical. That it just is, it's so, it's mean, it's rude. Barna did this study. Our parents' generation, they would believe that you should. We'd be like, that's just so old school. Okay, (laughs) a lot to say about that. But pray, pray for boldness. That God would give you boldness, he says, to speak the gospel, that you would declare it boldly. And number five, it's not in the passage, but I had to pray for forgiveness. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we close up tonight, some of you need to pray to God for things you've been doing that you need to stop doing and you need forgiveness. Some of you here tonight have never prayed to God for forgiveness of sin and you need to pray to God for forgiveness of sin for the first time tonight. It says in Colossians 2, I'll end with this verse, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If I had a hammer and a nail, I would have jumped up and boom, nails your sin to the cross. Just think about that. Legally, rightly, could have accused us as sinners apart from God. Nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the ruler's authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has victory over any spiritual attack. You can only have victory over any kind of spiritual attack in Christ. And if you are trying to fight some kind of spiritual fight apart from Christ, 
you will lose 10 days out of 10. So if you need to ask for forgiveness tonight to God for things you've been doing, why not ask him tonight? And if you would consider yourself, I'm just a sinner, I'm unworthy, I've done all these bad things, well, why don't you accept Christ as Savior tonight, be in Christ, and be considered a saint and have a home in heaven? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for tonight and feel like went way too long tonight, said a lot tonight, and Holy Spirit, would you use maybe one thing in everyone's mind that stuck out to them from your word, one verse or, or one phrase or one point. Um, God, would you help us not to be ignorant of the devil's designs, but we, would we also be confident of who we are in Christ? God, would we not see ourselves as followers of Jesus condemned, but rather with no condemnation in Christ? For those who are struggling and feel like maybe there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness, and the devil is counterfeiting a lot of things in their life. Give them wisdom to see that and to disarm those in Christ with the word of God. I pray for those who are here tonight, it was their first time. Maybe their first time hearing the gospel, first time hearing that they are a sinner and need a savior. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you prick their heart? God, would you minister to them? Would they cry out to you for salvation? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So God, we thank you for tonight. Pray that you would bless us tonight and help us to be obedient to you. We pray this in your name, amen. We went way over tonight. I am very sorry. I commend you for listening. If you had to leave, I apologize. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, You are dismissed. We'll see you next week as we finish up the series.